in this time where it's been particularly relevant for us um, understanding essential and non-essential businesses for a golf course to kind of incorporate something like food production or water filtration, it can shift the way that people view golf courses and their space and make them more of an essential business or an essential operation within a community. Hello and welcome to the Side Hill Eye podcast. I'm Grant Raffle. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm excited to speak with Dylan DeChair and Cody Semmelrock. Dylan and Cody each have some uh, interesting backgrounds that are particularly relevant to our topic today, which has to do with golf and the environment. Um, I know Dylan and Cody going back to our time as teammates on the Williams College men's golf team. Dylan and Cody were senior captains when I was a freshman, and uh, we had a great season together. Um, ultimately, coming up one shot short of uh, of making NCAA's, which still stings a little bit. But you know, we've uh, we've all moved on. Um, but uh, you know, after college, Dylan and Cody um, went on to play uh, professional golf for a couple of years. Um, they went. Uh, on the mini tours in uh, the Northeast and down in Florida in what they called the long shot tour, which was their quest to um, ultimately make it to the PGA tour. And uh, while they weren't successful with that, which is obviously a very difficult uh, objective, um, they have settled into some nice uh, careers. So Dylan, um, as you may know, is a senior writer at golf magazine where he writes both for the magazine and golf.com. He also is the author of 18 in America, a book that details his journey um, through the continental U.S. where he played golf in every state um, in his gap year before he enrolled at Williams. Um, Cody uh, is a graduate of the Sustainable Innovation MBA program at the University of Vermont and the recent founder of Acer Sustainability LLC, a sustainability consulting firm. So their combination of golf knowledge and environmental um, and sustainability background makes them a particularly qualified duo to tackle our topic for today. In today's episode, we discuss where golf fits into the environment, both the natural environment and the built environment. And um, we discuss, you know, sustainability and how it applies to golf and then go on to talk about um, how golf courses can be shared both with nature and with other people so as to better use the land. Um, Dylan and Cody are actually collaborating on a series of articles um, about sustainability in golf, specifically about um, water usage and kind of some of the various factors and innovations in that space, um, which should be out, you know, in the coming weeks here on golf.com. So 
if you like what you hear today, you know, certainly keep your eyes out on that. Um, and, uh, um, you know, before we start, just a reminder, um, please do subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on all the major platforms. Um, also, uh, follow along on Twitter and Instagram at the side hill lie for updates. You can also find us on the side for all of our podcasts and articles. Um, but yeah, let's get to this conversation. You know, the idea is to basically give an introduction to sustainability topics in the golf context, maybe get folks who are not as familiar with this, uh, sort of area, um, to at least get a little bit of an introduction and, and, um, start thinking about these topics and how we can make the game more sustainable because it's obviously a hugely important factor in the longevity of golf. So anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Dylan DeChair and Cody Semmelrock. Dylan DeChair and uh, Cody Semmelrock, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to be here. All right. Yeah, thanks, Grant. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's just start off. Um, you know, today we're going to talk about um, kind of sustainability and kind of the environment in golf. So, um, you know, maybe Cody, you could start us off just with talking about sustainability more broadly. Um, it's obviously a very, um, you know, very used term these days and kind of, so maybe you talk about just what, how you think about sustainability in general, and then how that can um, apply to golf. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like you mentioned, sustainability is a fairly ubiquitous term and it gets thrown a lot around, or gets thrown around a lot these days. Um, but the way I like to think about it is from more of a generational perspective. So um, thinking about the ways that our generation can meet all of our needs without impacting the ability of future generations to meet their needs. Um, so you can kind of apply that across industries, but specifically with golf, um, you know, that exists in the natural world and uh, thinking about ways that uh, golfers and golf courses can approach sustainability and, um, Think about ways that we can provide the game to everybody without impacting um, the ability of the game's uh, existence in the natural world and um, its existence, you know, uh, in the future. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Dylan, you know, as someone that thinks and, and writes a lot about golf, you know, how do you kind of, um, just going off of that, kind of think about sustainability in golf and, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So we think about sustainability definitely in terms of the game at large in a couple different ways. So there's economic sustainability. So business side, right. And that's not so much what we're talking about today, but it, it is always connected to it. Um, For sure. So there's the sustainability in that sense of, you know, can a golf course work long-term as a business do the revenues make sense, but then there's sustainability just of the golf course as an entity as a playing field, uh, you know, for a basketball court, you need what, a hundred feet by 50 feet for your blacktop and your bleachers. But for a golf course, you need 
hundreds of acres literally for these fields and they've just gotten bigger and bigger they're continuing to get bigger they're resource intensive they use a lot of water a lot of mowers uh they're supposed to be green all the time there's all these basic things in the game of golf that we just you know take for granted that a good golf course will have these things and they're all very resource intensive which which threatens the basic sustainability um of their environments definitely um yeah all good points um so yeah i mean let's maybe go beyond just sustainability as a term because again you know that is kind of a it's used so much that it almost has no meaning so let's talk a bit about kind of golf courses um you know and the environment um you know as you said um you know there are these large pieces of land and you know because they are at least somewhat natural you've got other you know lots of animals and, and wildlife and other kind of habitats out there um so you know golf courses have always been shared you know going back all the way to when you know animals were grazing the fairways and, and still do in some places um in scotland but how do you think about that as kind of you know golf courses um sharing their land not only with golfers but with nature as well yeah i'm happy to take that um i mean it's funny because we've kind of come full circle on uh golf courses and this shared space and kind of multifunctional design so um yeah, i think it was in like 2015 the rna published a kind of their concept for this uh, shared golf course urban space where, you know, it incorporated um, arboretums and uh, pollinator habitats, walking and running trails, the golf course practice facility, waste management centers. And the idea is that, you know, there's this trend of urbanization um, kind of across the world where billions of people live in cities and we need to figure out ways to kind of develop more sustainable uh, cities and communities and golf courses can and do play a large part in um, in creating a more sustainable community, especially in urban space. Um, so I think there's a lot of really promising um, ideas that are kind of coming out of multifunctional course design that we can get into a little bit. Um, but I think that golf sits in kind of a great position to be able to meet some of these needs uh, should we continue to kind of be forward looking about them. So yeah i mean i yeah. think in terms of the origins of the game golf has arrived at an interesting place which is a pretty different place from where it started i mean while it it, it does have this multifunctional possibility you know golf originally was not something that required intense uh manicuring of the land that it was played on you know this idea of sheep grazing the course could not be further from what we have now um I mean, there's a lot of factors involved with that. I think one particularly interesting factor is just the idea of color television and PGA Tour events being played, you know, now in HD. If you see the Masters, which is the most watched golf tournament by far, that's played on basically a perfect surface of very closely mown grass, even at Augusta National, which has essentially an unlimited budget the course only looks that good for one week out of the year. You know, even they can't make it so that it's perfect, that perfect for like even an entire week. But that has set this standard so high for every other course that we've we've 
gone a long way from the idea of, you know, sheep eating grass on a course to maintain it. Yeah, yeah, that that's for sure. Um, so, you know, yeah, a lot of good stuff to get into um, with that. Um, but maybe we can talk about, you know, golf courses, um, you know, they kind of take away from the environment in certain ways, right? Like they're using a lot of water, they use energy for various things, um, clubhouse, carts, um, you know, pumping water, etc. Um, but you know, they also provide um, some benefits w with that green space and can be places where, um, you know, carbon can kind of sit and stay out of the atmosphere. So, you know, how can courses, um, you know, these days, most courses, while they do have positive environmental uh, benefits, they're probably a net, you know, negative for the environment. So how can courses maybe turn that around and become not only, um, you know, neutral, but even a, a positive benefit where they can kind of tout that as um, something beyond offering golf that they're also giving back to the environment? Yeah, um, I think that it starts with kind of an honest assessment at the course level of where they are currently and all of their practices and what they're doing um, from, you know, operational perspective, whether, you know, it's, I, I would probably guess that most golf courses have a pretty good sense of how much water they use. Um, you know, all these people who run golf courses have to manage water really well to make their golf courses best as, you know, as good as it can be given their budget. Um, and so, kind of understanding what energy requirements go into their operations and um, their water use and what kind of fertilizer they're using and all that um, kind of gets balled up into, you know, in other industries, it's a sustainability report. And in the same way, it can um, be applied to golf and to figure out and establish that baseline of where the areas of highest impact are and where the opportunities lie for them to kind of step up and make investments, um, I think is really important. Um, and you know, I think uh, water and land use are kind of the two big areas of uh, that are highly criticized in the golf world. Um, and as a result, I think that's where, you know, the golf industry needs to move away from kind of this idea around obligation to that of opportunity where you can kind of use some of the innovations that are out there and we can talk to some of them um, and uh, really help kind of push them forward and make them more sustainable um, and you know, in an ideal sense, get back to this idea of becoming regenerative and more sustainable. So like, um, you know, creating systems that potentially filter water and give that give that back to their um, community and create an, a, a positive impact. But there, there are a lot of, um, you know, positives that are associated with golf. We all love to play. There's, you know, psychological benefits of going out there and having people connect to the natural world and you know, a lot of intangibles in that sense. And I think that um, there's a, a growing sense of uh, trying to figure figure out more data-driven, you know, quanti quantitative, like this is exactly what's going on through our golf course operation. And this is what we need to do to make it quantitatively better for the environment. Yeah, I mean, just to, to build on that idea, I think it's always helpful to have an economic argument too, right? So if uh, if it's going to save a golf course money, then they're a lot more likely to adopt a practice than if you say, oh, it's going to help the environment. That's just sort of the reality of the way a lot of these policies get adopted. But a lot of the time, 
that works because in the golf world, if you're saving water, then you're saving money in a big way. And, you know, there's a break even point at, at, at a certain point where you still need your golf course to, to look and play a certain way. Um, but Cody and I have been looking at a bunch of innovations in the golf space. And some of them are really interesting. Um, certain heat mapping programs where you can essentially track where people walk or where their golf carts travel and where you can say turn grass that you might use a lot of water on maintaining you could turn that into a, a waste bunker or you could let it grow out because really nobody's traveling there anyway so you don't have to spend time taking care of that but to cody's other point golf courses have a pretty good opportunity to be a leader in this space because they have a big advantage in that they still are green space. I mean, if you look at a lot of the alternatives, especially in urban areas for golf courses, people aren't necessarily looking to buy a golf course to make it into a, a public park. I mean, that happens occasionally, but much more frequently, the temptation is, oh, look at this nice land, let's turn it into a housing development. Um, there are a lot of benefits that purely exist just by, you know, a golf course not being concrete, uh, not being pavement, not being somewhere that, you know, say in a flood water is just going to uh, gather. And instead, you know, it, it's, it's a place where um, stuff can get back into the environment. And so just by being green spaces, golf courses are valuable. I mean, you look at, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast gets cited all the time uh, in the golf space because it, it has a lot of gripes about uh, golf courses being some of the last green spaces in the LA area. But I mean, there's still green spaces. No one else maintained any green space besides these golf courses. So whatever other problems they may have caused, they are at least preserving this space, which is a big time head start. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, yeah, I think we can get into uh, a bit later, um, some of the, um, yeah, talking about green space and urban areas and kind of the pressures there. But, um, you know, I think that's a good point um, about, uh, you know, green space in general. And, you know, the, I guess one of the differences between a golf course and a public park is you know, a golf course can actually bring in revenue through tee times and, and that sort of thing, which can make it, you know, economically um, sustainable, um, you know, in certain ways that a park while it's obviously a huge benefit to a larger number of people, they don't have um, the income coming in from uh, from folks using it. Um, but yeah, and I, yeah, no, go ahead. Well, I think it's just it's interesting to think about. You know, we are all avid golfers and have been serious competitive golfers through our lives too. I think it's interesting just to think about what we value when we arrive at a course. Like, what do you need? Because Look, I love the idea of ragged, unkempt golf courses. I really, I mean, I have a blast playing them. But if it's if you're looking to play a serious round of golf or a competitive round of golf, there's a certain standard. And I've sort of, I've been thinking about, you know, what actually matters to me when I get to a golf course in terms of level of play. And I, I really like having nice greens. That's just a really important thing to like the enjoyment of the game is knowing that it's going to be a fair test. And I guess I'd be curious for you guys, like what other standards you have? I mean, we're probably a little more open-minded on this than, than some people might be. I think a lot of people conditions is like the number one thing that they value when they get to the course. But um, 
I don't know. What do you guys think? For me, it's it's tees and greens, um, more so greens than tees. But like, I don't need really much else, you know, as long as there's some difference between fairway and rough and like, you know, you get some kind of reward for hitting it where you were trying to hit it off the tee and then getting it on the green and then have, like you said, having kind of a fair, um, you know, challenge once you get to the green, I think is really important. And that's like what I feel like I judge courses on the most is the quality of the greens. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to be said for kind of simplifying course conditions everywhere else, but those spots and those spots relative to the overall footprint of a golf course are really small. Um, and yeah, I feel like you see that in, in areas of, uh, you know, drought and intense water use where, you know, or where, uh, water scarcity rather, where, you know, the, the greens are the last thing to not get watered, um, for good reason. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I agree that, you know, in terms of different areas of the course, um, greens, I think are definitely the key and, um, you know, I think a lot of courses do spend, you know, most of their time and energy on the greens. But um, to me, I mean, I actually really like um, kind of courses that are uh, more natural looking and maybe not so um, perfectly manicured um, all throughout, you know, every inch of the place. Um, and, you know, I think there's an encouraging trend that, you know, more and more people are, are seeing that as kind of a, um, you know, kind of a, a cool look and a, a, a nice aspect as opposed to, you know, just like a flat rolling um, piece of, of green greenery, you know, having those natural waste areas and, um, you know, fairways that are browned out, maybe, you know, I personally actually like that a lot. And, um, but yeah, I think w when you get to the greens, you know, you want to know that when you hit a, a good putt, it's going to go where you want and not take, you know, 10 different bumps, um, all the way to the hole that, that can be frustrating, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, in general, I, I'm pretty open to, uh, to courses that, you know, are relatively, um, yeah, you know, yeah, not, not Again, quite I think as like perfectly we're all manicured. kind of golf hipsters in that sense. Like we probably skew in one direction in terms of being more accepting, but I think that there is a trend of, you know, like Bandon Dunes is probably the the hottest ticket in golf right now. And that's certainly a place where there's fescue and there's, you know, natural grasses and, and the whole thing is just built on, um, on the same principles of the original lakes courses. So I think that that's definitely an encouraging trend in American golf. A lot of American golf doesn't necessarily look that way, but look, it's still nature. I think there's a, there's a trend towards people wanting a natural experience when they're going out on the golf course, not all American golf again, looks that way, but there are definitely people that really like that idea. You're going out, you're having an adventure for a lot of people. This is going to be as close to getting out in nature as they really get. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is important to kind of, yeah, keep in mind what we expect um, out of a course and kind of how it can meet those expectations while, um, you know, not spending too much money or, or resources to kind of, um, um, sink into it. But, um, I mean, I know you guys are working on, um, kind of a, a project, some articles about, um, I guess, water use in particular. So I was hoping you could maybe talk just a little bit about kind of, um, you know, water is 
probably the most used uh, resource for the vast majority of courses. Um, you know, how can courses um, lessen water usage and kind of what are some different innovations um, that, um, you know, in that kind of area from grass types to pumping to, you know, recycling water, you know, that, that can kind of um, help lessen the environmental uh, burden of uh, maintaining courses. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I guess to put it into perspective for folks who aren't kind of acutely aware of how much water goes into golf courses, it obviously varies a ton by region. Um, but uh, it's been recorded that in, you know, the southwest region, which is, uh, you know, needs a ton of water to have golf courses, the, the median um, water use per golf course on an annual basis was something around 130 million gallons. And that's a tough number to really wrap your head around, but uh, that equates to roughly 200 Olympic-sized swimming pools. So um, you kind of think about that, and that's just for one golf course. So um, it's it's extremely water-intense, and figuring out any way to reduce water is something that people in the industry have been doing. Um, and so we're gonna, you know, we're in the process of researching and. Um, learning more about some of these kind of innovations and, you know, help kind of spread the word about them for other golf courses and for golfers to take that information and then start a conversation at their own club to see, um, you know, like what's going on there. At least that's our goal. And so um, Dill referenced one of uh, these new kind of emerging technologies and heat mapping uh, previously. Um, and that's just one of, uh, you know, a few and, you know, um, one thing that I think is really interesting is, you know, rainwater harvesting. So obviously you get this thing that everybody, you know, golfers don't always love the idea of rain and how it kind of falls uh, right in line with their Saturday tea time, but it's obviously an essential part of golf course operations and fake golf courses who have figured out a way to capture every drop of free rainwater that's naturally occurring is obviously a really important part of the operation. And so that for most golf courses traditionally means irrigation ponds that are strategically located on a golf course, you know, and having the proper drainage to, you know, not allow their golf course to get overly saturated and flow into these collection ponds to use during areas during times of um, water scarcity and drought. Um, but there's some new kind of, there are a few courses that we've been looking into and some of their strategies um, that have been really interesting and, some of them have utilized uh, like underground cisterns and these, um, so really increasing their footprint of the water that they've captured and um, being able to kind of maintain all that water on the property. And that includes capturing all the water that, you know, runs off of the rooftops of the buildings and um, gets captured into cisterns, you know, specifically within closed loop systems um, to then use for gray water use. And, you know, whether it's washing off golf carts or, um, used to flush toilets or that sort of thing. So there's some, and obviously that's a smaller portion of overall water use on the property, but, um, you know, really any strategy that golf courses can employ is, um, important in, in our eyes. Um, yeah. I mean, along those lines, I, I think the bigger picture is thinking outside the box. And so if, if the two ways you can reduce water usage is, one by literally just using less water and the other way to do it is to find your water somewhere else. And so recognizing that 
most golf course water doesn't need to be potable. You don't need to drink the water that's being used to, you know, water the greens. Um, then that opens up a lot of other possibilities. And I, I feel like courses are just like, just starting to scratch the surface on, on exploring these because they're still using so much water. Uh, I think one other interesting thing is, is seeing new grass development. Um, they're creating these hybrid grasses that don't need as much water to still look green and still survive. Um, I mean, Gosh, you look at some of the courses that pop up. I mean, when the, the European tour heads to like Saudi Arabia in a few weeks, you'll see when they show these overhead shots, you're like, what could a golf course possibly be doing in the middle of the desert? There's no green anywhere. Um, part of the way they do it is they use water from the sea, which is right there. And they they've found these grasses that are more resistant to uh, water that has some salt in it. And they've also have these desalinization plants. So there's, there are different ways to think outside the box. I think the first step is getting people and courses to, to have those outside the box conversations because golf, as we know, can often be like decades behind in terms of adapting to modern trends. Totally. And, um, I, I wanted to make two other points. One, one is on kind of a more visionary, uh, idealistic, you know, um, technology that's out there. And then it's, it's utilized more in industrial settings um, at this point. But um, there are these things called eco-machines, which basically uh, they've been developed by John Todd Ecological Design. Um, and they utilize natural occurring systems and, you know, living organisms to treat water, uh, wastewater specifically. Um, and kind of filter out this wastewater and create um, create healthier uh, water systems. And, um, you know, it's been used in lagoons for Tyson Foods and, you know, other industrial settings, but more frequently they're being installed in, uh, you know, uh, situations that could be, you know, relevant for golf courses. Um, and I think that there is a great opportunity for education around sustainability. You know, as growing up as a young kid, I saw solar panels and I thought they were the coolest thing ever. And I think that in a similar way, um, kind of innovative and um, really cool and engaging technology like this could be, you know, installed on or directly adjacent to a golf course and maybe funded directly by a golf course operation to use to filter wastewater that's that either they're creating or is part of the greater community at large um, and use that as kind of in more of an educational tool and kind of merge the two. So um, there's one of these um, wastewater uh, facilities in Rhinebeck, New York, where um, they get like close to 23,000 visitors annually. And so you know, this is me being <laughs> fairly idealistic about it, but, you know, if they, if a golf course, you know, were to install a system like this and quote unquote, convert some incredibly small fraction of the visitors and get them to go and play golf and have that relationship kind of go back and forth in a symbiotic way, you know, it's kind of a win-win you, you introduce golfers to cool, innovative, sustainable technologies and um, potentially, you know, engage people to come and play golf at your course because you know it, you got they're doing cool leading things um i think there's a real opportunity there and um in the same way you know those facilities would have a positive impact on their golf operations um 
so that's that's one thing that we're probably going to be discussing as well in our series of of articles but um yeah I, I think there's there's a lot of really cool stuff out there and we're excited to kind of continue digging in yeah absolutely and i think that's kind of a good um segue into talking a little bit about kind of other things golf courses can be doing so you know we've talked a bit about um you know how golf courses can innovate and, and be more sustainable um but you know the other thing is as these courses that take up you know as dylan mentioned earlier you know hundreds of acres huge pieces of land you know how can they be um provide other benefits you know beyond golf because you know even now as golf is you know booming and, and covid and everything it's still a, a very you know relatively small number of uh you know percentage of the population that that does play golf so um maybe first we can talk about kind of the environmental side and then we'll go into more kind of the multi-use um things but you know what are some things like um you know agricultural production um you know farming you know what whatever else other creative ideas that courses can use you know some of their land particularly kind of the out of play areas to um to um use and you know have other um operations on yeah cody you tackle this one yeah absolutely so i mean i see a lot of opportunity in a lot of different categories here so um to kind of touch on your agricultural perspective um you know, regenerative agriculture is a really, um, it, it's a, it's an area that's growing really quickly and people are kind of getting really excited about from a carbon sequestration perspective. But, um, there are a few things that I think golf courses that are specifically relevant for golf courses. Um, one is, uh, the use, uh, the production and utilization of, uh, this technology called biochar, which is, um, a product that's produced from uh, pyrolysis of biomass, so spent forestry and agri like food waste um, can go into this process and create a soil amendment um, that then can be used as fertilizer on a golf course. So um, it can be it's extremely carbon intensive, and so you're you know basically putting that carbon back into the soil, which is healthier than most other uh, fertilizing options. Um, and then that can tie into uh, potentially food production that is, you know, installed somewhere on a golf course strategically. So right now, I think, you know, the average golf course is 150 acres and roughly 34 of those acres um, go under unutilized. Uh, it's not they're not in playing areas. And I think that there's a pretty good um, portion of that land that could be utilized in some way for some type of crop production. Um, and I think in this time where it's been particularly relevant for us um, understanding essential and non-essential businesses for a golf course to kind of incorporate something like food production or water filtration, it can shift the way that people view golf courses and their space and make them more of an essential business or an essential operation within a community. Um, and I know that there are some golf courses out there in the world that have installed food production, um, I think, Nick Faldo has a course out in Thailand um, or Southeast Asia somewhere where they installed, you know, uh, five hectares of rice paddies um, for the local community. So I think there are a lot of different opportunities for uh, leasing land that, you know, the golf course doesn't have to necessarily be the people that are actually producing the food, but they 
create an opportunity to be a part of that kind of sh shared value creation. Um, and, uh, you know, there are other opportunities too with, you know, like we said earlier about sheep, you know, pasture, shared pastures, the same thing can be true um, where, you know, you create um, areas where, you know, livestock can come and, uh, you know, clear out other areas and maybe not have them in areas where you think the golf balls are going to fly on a, on a regular basis. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot of really, really cool opportunities here. I think that if you, if you look at some of the ways that golf courses are being constructed, probably especially now, some of the time you're also not necessarily taking land away from, um, you know, other enterprises. It's especially difficult now. You're not going to build a golf course in like a urban zone on a high value piece of land. It's just not going to happen because, it, you know, it, it's just too efficient. Everything's too expensive for that. But what you are seeing, I'm thinking about Grant, when you visited recently in Seattle, we played uh, a nine hole course just down the street from my apartment one day called Inner Bay Golf Center. That used to be a dump. So literally not a, like a bad golf course, a dump, an actual, <laughs> a literal dump that was right. then converted into a golf course. Um, so they, you know, they have little things in the ground that help uh, let the, whatever it is, methane out of the ground so that the whole place doesn't blow up or whatever they do. Um, but that was a piece of reclaimed territory and it's now one of the most popular places for people to play golf in Seattle. And then the best golf course, maybe in the entire state of Washington, where we played the next day, is Chambers Bay, which used to be a, a gravel mine. And that's in a beautiful place, but it's the sort of thing that wouldn't have necessarily been reclaimed in any obvious way. Um, and it also represents a pretty cool transition into this idea of multi-use space. Because, so, so take Chambers Bay. It's this beautiful golf course, revolutionary course design, like a very very bold features, wide open, no trees on it or anything, wide fairways, but still challenging um, and exciting. And then you also have this added element of people are going jogging, you know, through the course pretty much, but not in a way that it seems like they're in grave danger most of the time. I mean, like shanks bring a whole lot of things into play, but but most of the time it feels like, wow, this is just a really cool place to walk. The beach is right there. People are walking along the beach. Uh, there's a jogging path. People are flying kites. They're having picnics. There's all this other space. And it feels like you're playing golf in one portion of a big city park. Um, and it just feels it's such a it's such a feel good example of like reclaiming space and maximizing its value and obviously you it's a it's a unique site in that way too but it definitely it kills several birds with one stone in a way that i think more golf courses could aspire to yeah no absolutely i think that's a great point and you know as you said you know the land the the most desirable land these days is not going to be going to courses so they have to be a little more innovative and as you said you know reclaim a dump or a, or a mine or, or that sort of thing and you know a lot of the the um more recent you know great courses that have been built have have been on those types of sites um but yeah talking about kind of the shared use you know i think chambers bay did a great job of kind of integrating the um you know as you said the park-like aspects the walking trails the running trails um you know around and even through the course but in a way that 
was safe and you know didn't really interfere either with the golf course or the golfers interfering with uh with runners um so you know talking about that shared use like what are some other ideas you might have um for how golf courses can share the space with with other non-golfers and you know we've talked about kind of um the pressure on you know urban green spaces and you know as golfers um i think you know it's natural that we obviously want to save these courses that are you know kind of the last remaining courses in certain urban areas but certainly understand the the um, concerns that people have when you know not a huge chunk of the population is able to take advantage of that space so you know there's a lot of yeah. creative ideas here from um you know sharing the you know opening it up as a park for one day a week or yeah start us off that sort you guys of thing. Are the scottish experts grant you tell us about saint andrews and how that works well sure yeah so saint andrews you know on the old course every sunday it's just a park so people are out there walking their dogs um you know throwing throwing a tennis ball around um you know just some people walk the whole thing some will just kind of hang out uh right there in the first and 18th fairways um near the town but it's a pretty cool thing and um you know obviously uh, you know any place but especially a place like st andrews is taking a pretty big hit on uh, revenue because they could be having tea times from you know 6 a.m to 5 p.m if they wanted to but um you know kind of making that um open to people i think makes them um, a lot more willing to accept that it's a golf course if they can at least have one day a week where they get to uh, take advantage of it. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a really important part of, you know, from a cultural perspective, uh, they meant they didn't like get rid of their roots in any way. They kind of embrace it. And it, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that they have, you know, a bunch of other courses that they can lean on on that Sunday uh, to, you know, remain open. But um, you know, I might not be answering the question directly with my answer here, but I think that just in general, you know, accessibility is a huge issue in golf um, and its economic, you know, sustainability and opening the game up um, to as many people as possible, I think, is a really important facet of golf sustainability as a whole. Um, and, I, you know, when you think about uh when you think about it from racial and socioeconomic and a gender perspective, um, I, I believe from the gender perspective, you know, women constitute 50% of the population roughly. And, you know, it's a much smaller percentage of women who actually play the game. And so, you know, there's a big missed market opportunity or economic opportunity there to, you know, continue to open the game up to them and in the same way to other members of, the community who I would love to see introduced to the game, I think is a really important piece of, of the puzzle. Um, and I think that, you know, that can happen with, um, you know, increased efforts around accessibility. Um, obviously golf has had a reputation to be an expensive, uh, pastime and leisure time for folks. Um, and you know, there's a whole wormhole that you can go down around, you know, the idea of automation and how, you know, our lifestyle could potentially change and, you know, more leisure time for folks and that sort of thing. But um, I think it's going to be really critical for golf to kind of continue having a conversation around how to increase accessibility. And I think that an important part of that is going to be um, facilitating more shared, shared, uh, you know, um, 
facilities where you you have more things going on than just golf so more people are introduced or at least adjacent to the game and can uh you know be it can be a little bit more inviting to be introduced to it yeah i mean if we start off by thinking about golf courses as multi-use golf spaces then i think that that's a good jumping off point so um, to go back to that example of interbay grant which is just down the road from here it's a pretty cool hybrid model where it's not quite a top golf, but they've got a double decker range um, and they do have some top tracer technology. So you can, if you want like that full experience, you want to see ball speed numbers, etc. You're a good player. You can go there and get some good feedback, but you can also just get a bucket of balls and a beer and a hot dog and post up for, you know, 12 bucks or something. And, hit to your heart's content for like an hour. So it's a relatively affordable city activity. You know, if you compare it to bowling or going to the movies or something like that, you can certainly do that. At the same facility, they have a nine hole golf course, par 28. So you can't quite call it a par three course because the first hole is 275 yard par four. Um, and it's such an awesome design. I, I already mentioned it. it was a former dump the way the holes are set up there's always a fairway open to your right which is brilliant because i, I don't know what it is 75 or 80 percent of amateurs miss to the right more than they do to the left um so you generally keep your ball in play um it's short there's also a miniature golf course on property and you know sometimes it gets slow because there's so many people there but in general you're going to play this thing in under an hour and a half um, so it takes care of a lot of golf's main issues of, you know, it takes too long, it's too expensive, it's too difficult, etc. like right in one. And a lot more people can enjoy the game all at once than just however many people can fit on a traditional like championship golf course. So there are ways just to include more golf within the golf. And then there's other versions of that that have gotten a lot more popular, which are cool. You see short courses cropping up at golf destinations like Pinehurst, Bandon Dunes, um, like Aaron Hills has this cool putting course. Um, some of these higher profile places are realizing that there's a big appeal to, to not just having a golf course be the entire attraction. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, between kind of sharing the, the larger golf courses and then, you know, having these other kind of creative ideas on how to still get the benefits of golf and make it available to people, but kind of on a smaller footprint, as you said, you know, having the range, par three courses, you know, big, you know, crazy putting greens with slopes that you can just kind of go back and forth on for hours, you know, that that's a, a cool thing. And, and it's definitely encouraging to see, um, you know, more and more places, both, as you said, kind of these, um, you know, high profile resorts, and also just you know, municipalities that are kind of open to these ideas and giving them a shot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any other, uh, you know, creative ideas or kind of places that come to mind that are kind of doing things, interesting things and I think sharing off season them? uses, I think, I mean, we all went to, we all played college golf at a place that is used in the winter for cross country skiing, sledding, people walking their dogs. I think that's a huge thing. It's not necessarily some places do monetize it some places they'll have the pro shop will turn into a uh, a lodge of some sorts and they'll charge you to 
to cross country ski. There's some courses that are also at the bases of, of downhill mountains. Um, in Vermont, that's definitely a thing. In, in Cody's neck of the woods, there's a few of these mountain courses. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind in the northern half of the country is like finding these off-season uses for the course. Yeah, I think going back to um, Dill's original discussion around uh, kind of alternative courses, from the business model perspective, it makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like this course out near you has kind of uh, mastered it in that, you know, you have a smaller footprint, operational costs are probably going to be less because you have less to maintain, you have less, um, you know, grass to water, you have maybe fewer employees, um, less fertilizer, that sort of thing. But at the same time, the people are playing the rounds faster and you're able to, you know, it sounds like it's a pretty busy place. So you're cranking people through the facility and you can probably charge a slightly higher margin for, um, for that service because people are still being able to get out and play and, you know, they're only looking for 12 or 15 holes, um, maybe not the full 18. Um, so, you know, I think that that has a lot of potential moving forward. Um, and it doesn't necessarily just mean, you know, making the golf courses shorter everywhere and obviously length and equipment and everything is a whole nother discussion. Um, but I think that there's definitely a lot to be said for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about some pretty cool things going on um, with these courses, um, you know, sharing the land. And um, you know, there's all sorts of creative ideas. As you said, I think, you know, courses are kind of just scratching the surface right now. Like, um, I remember reading about a course that was like growing its own hops, you know, right off its 18th hole. And then turning those into beer to sell in the clubhouse. So like, there's all sorts of cool things that, you know, that, that is obviously good use of land, but it's also kind of a cool thing that they can monetize and becomes kind of a unique thing that the course can offer. Um, and, you know, talking about the environmental aspect, I remember, I think, I don't know the exact stat, but you know, par three courses, because all you have to do is water the greens and, and the tees. I mean, I think it's something like a nine hole par three course probably takes up the same amount of water as like maybe one hole on an 18 hole course, you know? So there's all sorts of good stuff, but I guess just to wrap up, like what would be kind of, um, you know, things that, that you would like to see more of, or kind of how would you like to see kind of the general golf population, um, kind of open up to these more, um, you know, different models than like the traditional 18, you know, quote unquote championship whole courses um, that have kind of been the norm for, for so long. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that I want to see most in the next couple of years um, and, you know, having conversations uh, on this podcast around this is like furthering it, but um, I just want more people to be engaged with and informed about just some of the sustainability issues that exist. You know, I've played golf my whole life, um, very passionate about the game. Um, and some of my educational and work background has been in sustainability. So this is an interesting intersection for me and something that I'm excited about right now to kind of continue learning about. But for a long time, golf was just, you know, a competitive thing that I did outside and I enjoyed going for a walk and playing and being with my friends and that sort of thing. Um, 
But I think it's an important thing that's becoming more and more salient for people every day, given the things that are happening around us. Um, and so I'd like to see in the next couple of years, just more people asking questions of their uh, the, their local clubs, um, you know, doing a little bit more to, to learn and to figure out like what's going on around them and what they can do as a golfer and what they can ask, uh, you know, of their own golf courses that they're members to, or, um, and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff going on and, um, I'm excited to see where it, you know, continues to go. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for the golf industry. So. Yeah, I think my big hope is related to that, and that would be that every golf course operator audits their own business, essentially, and takes a look at, okay, where where are we spending? And not just spending money, but spending resources. Where are we using water? And really start at ground zero and say, or start at, start at square one, I should say, and say, okay, do we need to be doing that? And if you don't need to be, or if there's another creative way to get around it, maybe you don't do it. Um, and, and just keeping an open mind that like golf is a game of tradition. There's a lot of, of parts of, you know, the game's history that are fun, that, that connect people over generations. But I think that having an open mind to say, Hey, look, change can be really good. It can be really exciting. It can be healthy for the game's future. That's huge. I mean, 2020 was a, a, a terrible year by all measures, but in the golf world, it was a pretty lucrative year, as it turned out, in terms of actual golf courses being played. Golf companies were selling more sets than ever. More, It was the greatest increase in rounds played year over year since 1997, when Tiger Woods famously won the Masters, and there were a whole bunch of other uh, economic and you know real estate ventures going on that all were pushing the game towards more people playing it's been pretty flat to slightly down since then until this year so golf courses have massive opportunities they have new customers that came in through the doors this year um, so it's time to really just take advantage of this interest in the game and, and think more creatively about how to best run your business from from a resource perspective in terms of money, in terms of water, uh, in terms of sustainability. All right. I'd really like to thank Dylan and Cody for coming on the podcast today and uh, sharing their expertise uh, in these subjects with us. Um, as I mentioned at the top, Dylan is a senior writer at Golf Magazine and the author of the book 18 in America. Cody is a graduate of the Sustainable Innovation MBA program at the University of Vermont and the recent founder of Acer Sustainability LLC, a sustainability consulting firm. Um, I will leave uh, some relevant links here to uh, Dylan's work and, and Twitter handle, um, as well as Cody's uh, website uh, for Acer Sustainability, in case anyone is interested and, and wants to get in touch. Um, but, uh, you know, I think these topics are um, more relevant than ever. Um, and, you know, something that every golfer should keep in mind and really think about, you know, how can we make courses sustainable for future generations? Um, you know, often 
economic and environmental sustainability go hand in hand. So that can definitely be a positive thing. But, um, you know, just being educated consumers of golf in this respect and, um, you know, making sure um, we're supporting courses that are um, doing the right thing and, um, you know, giving back to the environment as much or more uh, than they take away. So, um, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe leave a rating or review or tell some friends about us. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Side Hill Lie to connect that way. And also check out the com where all of our podcasts and articles are in one place. Um, please don't hesitate to reach out with you know, any thoughts would be curious, any thoughts on, um, you know, today's episode, sustainability in general, or really any of the work we're doing. Um, finally, uh, remember, uh, Dylan and Cody will be coming out with, um, a series of articles on golf.com that will further explore, um, sustainability in golf, specifically around water use. So um, look out for that in the coming weeks, and I will certainly um, send that out uh, when that's published. Um, But I think that'll do it for today. So thank you for listening. Uh, My name's Grant Raffle. The music is by Jake Kerman. Thank you, Jake. And uh, we will see you next time on the Side Hill Live podcast.